everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Welcome back, everyone. Today, we are chatting with Ashley Wright, a mental health artist based in the Inland Empire of Southern California. I'm so excited. Can't wait to share more of Ashley's journey with you. Welcome, Ashley. Hi. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today. I cannot wait to learn more about you. I mean, I already have the pleasure of knowing you a little bit, but I can't wait for our listeners to learn more about you. So, I mean, there's a lot to discuss, a lot of amazing things that you are going to share with our audience, but I would like to just start by asking you about your journey as a visual artist, as a mental health artist. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I think the most unique thing about my journey as an artist was the fact that I've gone in and out of art throughout my entire life. You know, I started as a kid who loved sketching and drawing, didn't think much of it, got so hard into music throughout my like high school life. I went into theater. So I, you know, I was circling around performing arts and visual arts for so, so long, even to the point where here I am, I go to college and get a bachelor's degree in music. But the painting, which is what I focus on now, didn't come about until, you know, my senior year in college. And it came about for a mental health reason, because I was struggling so much at the time. I was, you know, filtering out of music, it wasn't really my calling. And so I decided to take a beginner's painting class in college for funsies. You know, you need an extra credit, you go take a class, right? And I was like, painting class, all right, fun, easy. And I get into that class I wreak havoc. I don't listen to my professor. I just, I have a ball of a time having so much fun exploring and doing art. I kind of just packed that away. I kept it quiet for a little bit. Like, oh, painting is fun. I'm good at it. Okay, bye. Then from there, you know, I dropped out of graduate school, got really, really sick. The pandemic hits, you know, it happens out of nowhere. We all get locked down. And what do a lot of people do? We reach into ourselves and we dig into those hobbies and those things about ourselves that we kind of shelved for a bit because we were so busy with our other lives. And so I picked up the painting again, right in the middle of the height of lockdown. From there, that was the key point in my story. That's where painting took off for me. And it became a way for me to heal my anxiety, my depression, my PTSD. Not saying that I am somebody that is fully healed and this is the magic key to it, but It is something, it is a tool in my toolbox that has basically birthed the new version of me, so to speak, you know, since then now, what, two years I've been showing and selling my work, two whole years, and so much has come of it because of it, making that one step going, you know what, yeah, maybe I should do this, let's let's keep going at this, you know, you never know where life's going to take you (laughs) in your little journey. Um, But you got to kind of got to lean into those things that keep coming back around. You know, you will always have something that keeps filtering right around you and you'll try different things and other things and you'll figure out it doesn't work and you'll keep coming back to that one thing. And for me, that was painting and art. I love that. I like it's there's so many nuggets of 
just amazingness that you shared. And I'm trying to even think where to start, but it actually reminded me, you know, of what you were saying about just like following your curiosity, you know? Uh, I'm a huge fan of Elizabeth Gilbert. I probably mention her every podcast episode. Liz, if you're out there listening, um, hey, you never know. But one of her, my favorite things about her is that she encourages people to just follow their curiosities. And like, I love how you said, just if you're interested in something, just take the step to like, see what it's about. And you never know. And there might be things you try and you're like, this is not for me, but there might be something that you try that really resonates with you. And in your case has actually helped to heal you. And that is such a powerful thing. And so I wanted to ask you a little bit more about um, how making art has really helped you to work through, you know, mental health issues. I think that this is this is a time where so many people, including myself, have, you know, anxiety or whatever it might be. It's just so common. And I think that art is an incredibly healing tool. But how specifically has it helped you on your path? I think the biggest, biggest key for me was finding some mindfulness, finding that space, um, that flow space, as so many people call it. If you've seen the movie Soul, they talk about the soul, you know, the, that whole space you get into, that zone you get into, where the world around you kind of melts away. Your troubles and your worries melt away. And for every single person, that flow space, that mindfulness looks different. And so many people, when they go to therapy, they assume, oh, mindfulness, I'm going to have to meditate and just journal and stuff. And it's like, maybe, maybe. But there are other things out there that can give you that flow, that meditation, that state of mind that you need. And for me, it was art. It always kind of has been art. It was a space that I could go to that's away from everything where I can just let everything that's happening up here just flow out right down onto the page. And if you can find that in whatever you do in life, it will help you so, so much. So to be able to find that flow space, it was just it was home for me. And I felt that same way about music too. You know, there, there are so many other things that can also give that to you. But with art specifically, it also allowed me a visual representation of what was going on in my head. And, you know, when you think about mental illness and people depicting mental illness in art, you think of the darker side of things. Um, it's really easy to go really, really dark with something like depression or anxiety or trauma. And for me... I focus on dissociation in my work. That's something I struggle with the most with complex PTSD is dissociation, depersonalization, and derealization. So a lot of times I'm out of body. I don't feel connected to who I am as a person. Sometimes I can't recognize myself in the mirror, that kind of thing. And you would think, oh, so you're probably going to do some distortions of people or imagery like that. And people always get kind of blown away when they're like, oh, this is a very happy, cheery, childlike landscape that you're presenting to us. And for me, it makes so much sense because I'm bringing not only my safe world, which is that dissociation, that's my safe world, but it's the safe world from my childhood where all of these things happened. So this is the world I went to, how I perceived the world to keep myself safe and grounded as much as I could whenever I was going through something as a kid. And so to be able to bring people a different perspective on dissociation and something that is incredibly dark for a lot of people to be able to bring something lighter. It shows them that it 
it was also a very safe coping tool for me. It no longer is useful, you know, as an adult, but it was something there. It was something safe. And it's something I want to show other people and let them know that, hey, you can keep going. It's okay. There are, there are safety nets for you. You will find that peace and happiness. That's so beautiful. And I think, you know, sometimes as artists, we can get so caught up in making the work and producing the work and marketing the work that I feel like even I sometimes just have to really peel back the layers and remember why I even started painting in the first place. Like it is a meditation. It is such a healing thing. And as you were speaking, I was thinking about your paintings and I'm like, not only are these paintings kind of visually transporting you to these beautiful, like sort of fantastical otherworldly landscapes that you create, but they're also transporting the viewer. And I think there's like such a beautiful thing about that. It's like you're kind of not escaping, but like I'm, I feel the same because I also paint landscapes and I feel like when I'm painting my own landscapes, it's like taking me to that other world temporarily but then like you're also providing that for someone else, which is like so powerful too. I'm glad you picked up on that because that's something that's really big with my work and something I want to emulate for other people. I, I have always had this strong feeling that you can empathize with somebody's situation or something they've been through, but you can't really feel what they went through. You can't really feel what they're going through. And my goal with my art was always to try and get people to feel what I was feeling. Cause people, people, I'll tell my story to people and all the tragic things I've been through or whatever. And they'll be like, Oh wow, that's really tough. That's really sad. I'm so, so sorry. But that empathy only goes so far and that understanding only goes so far. And it blows my mind when I meet other people who have gone through similar things, they really get it. And so through art, I hope to show other people, this is what's going on up here. You know, this is my world. I want you to come step inside it. Um, it's a fantastic movie called The Cell that came out a really, really long time ago, and it follows a psychiatrist who works with child's minds, and she specifically brings children who are in a coma into her mind to help them through their trauma. And she realized that on one of her cases, she had to do the opposite. She had to go into the child's mind to understand him. And it's kind of the similar concept there. We, we, I really want people to dig into my mind and I want you to come into my space. Come see me, you know? Uh, I think it's a gift I can give some people. It's absolutely a gift. I mean, when someone connects with a painting that you create um, and it takes them to that beautiful place, it's also healing for them. You know, when you think about like any time you've just fallen in love with a painting or any artwork, the emotional connection is so strong sometimes that it's like you can't even put it into words. And it is such a gift to be able to provide that for other people. Um, so thank you for sharing that. And I wanted to ask you, what advice would you give to someone who is maybe interested in art? I mean, we have a lot of artists that listen to this podcast, but I'm sure we also have people who are creative and perhaps a little bit nervous to take that next step and actually dive right in. Or, you know, we also, I'm sure, have a lot of listeners that, like I said, have their own sort of issues with mental health, whether it be anxiety or depression or, or whatever it might be. Um, what advice would you give to them if they are already um, making art? But I, so it's kind of a two-part question. Like, so for, for those that maybe are interested and in dabbling but haven't really taken the leap, 
and for those that are making art but are still kind of going through you know the day-to-day of just living with a mental health condition yeah so I'll start with the second one um if you're already an artist and you're struggling with mental illness be easy on yourself and I don't mean that as in like give yourself so much leeway that nothing gets done be gentle with yourself that you may have days where you just do not have the energy. You will not have the energy to get out of bed. You will not have the energy to brush your teeth, wash your face, those kind of things. You may not have energy to paint. Your creativity may fall off the block for months. And these things are normal when you have mental illness. It still happens to me. I haven't really touched many paintings since I think August. It's something I've been working on right now is to touch my bigger work, you know, But I'm not going to sit here and play the mental gymnastics of going, oh, well, obviously I'm not suited for this kind of life. I'm obviously not suited for this kind of I can go down the mental mental negative spiral. But instead, I I know that it's it's time to take some time for myself. I know I need to set some time aside for me. And I know that I can always get back on that horse. And I think a lot of people forget that. There is no shame in getting back on the horse. If you fall off of it for a while and you have to take care of yourself and you have to take care of your mental illness and put your painting to the side, that's okay. It's it's always going to be there when you get back and people are still going to love you for it. I think where the problem comes from is if you decide to shelve it and never come back to it. That means you, you're never going to get it back. You, that shame and that guilt, you're trying to put that guilt onto the fact that you're not painting right now. So... I think that that's that's where a lot of people (laughs) should really start, you know, give yourself some grace, give yourself some time. When I was dealing with the worst of my mental illness, I had to drop out of grad school and I had to not work for an entire year, an entire year. I knew I wasn't mental. I didn't have the mental capacity to be able to hold down any sort of job. It was just too much. And I felt a lot of guilt and shame during that period, a whole year where I had to rely on other people for support. And that's hard. That is so, so, so hard. But because I did that and I leaned into that support, I am where I am now. And I have the resources that I didn't have before and the tools that I didn't have before. So whereas my mental illness may not be as severe as it used to be, it's still there and it will still come and bite me in the butt. But because of the the support, my tools and resources, that helps. If you are somebody that lives in a state or a country that provides medical care for mental health therapy and you have access to it, like Californians, we have access to Medi-Cal, go to therapy. It, it's, it's there. That, that tool is there for you. And if you have something like Medi-Cal, you have access to a therapist. I, I can't tell you how many people I, I run into say, Oh, well, I, I, I don't want to go to therapy. I don't want to do telezoom or anything like that. That's just you not wanting to go to therapy. And that's hard. That, that is a hurdle, too. That is a hurdle to get over. So it's, it's just like there's constant hurdles, I think, mentally that you have to go through. And sometimes you may not be right or ready for them. Sometimes you're not ready to make that next step. And give yourself the grace. That's where all the things come back around. Now, as for somebody who's just starting out with art or just starting to get into it and you're just sitting there and you're going, oh, I could never paint like that. Oh, I could never draw like that. Oh, I didn't know I could paint like this. Oh, my gosh. Are you kidding me? I didn't know I was going to slap out some of these bangers. Wow. But I did it. 
the thing is, I said, I don't care. You know, I was in a music program for like 12 years being told, no, your technique is wrong. Your technique is bad. This is bad. I, I was so sick of that, that I didn't care what I did in art. I just didn't care. I didn't care if my teacher was going to fail me because I didn't do the shading properly here or this and that. I said, screw it. I'm going to do me. And that was me really making steps to heal myself. So if you're an artist out there or you want to be an artist, literally just break out a pen and paper, literally go buy the cheapest supplies you can from Hobby Lobby and have fun. Just have fun. Learn what the brush does. Learn how the paint feels. Learn how a marker feels. Like be a kid again. Explore. Oh my goodness. That is amazing advice. Like again, so many nuggets of wisdom because yeah, it's like just in regards to what you were first talking about, um, it is so important that we find tools and strategies and it actually takes so much effort. Um, okay, I'm going to bring <laughs> Liz Gilbert up again, but I listen to her on days where I'm having a hard time with anxiety, which is also something that I love and appreciate how open you are because it's something that I have been so nervous to share for so long. But on really hard days, I will listen to um, her because she said a few years ago in this podcast interview that I've probably replayed like a hundred times that managing her mental health was a full-time job and that, and that everything else was just like, you know, even her writing career was kind of like in addition to that. And I was like, you're right. It actually is a full-time job or a part-time job to, to take care of yourself and to manage your mental health and to actively seek out strategies and to actively seek out help and to like really coach yourself through some of those tough moments. But I just so appreciate us being able to have such an open dialogue about this. And I really hope that for anyone listening, you know, I, I just want to say like, you should never feel embarrassed or ashamed to talk about this. It's that's something I've struggled with for so long is openly talking about it. And I just love that you're inspiring and encouraging people to just talk, to have these conversations. Cause I think it's how we heal, but also to, to get the tools and the help that they need. But when you were chatting about, um, just having fun, <laughs> like returning to the joy I also appreciate that so much because, you know, I went to traditional art school for my undergraduate degree and for my graduate degree. And I think that there's like, you know, they were amazing programs, but I think that there's also a little bit of undoing I have to do in terms of like being trained in this certain way. And I have moments where I'm like, I take my practice really, really seriously to the point, which is like good to an extent, but can also be detrimental at times to the point where like sometimes if a painting doesn't work out, I feel like it's the end of the world and I get so tight when I'm painting. And like I even have to remind myself sometimes, let go, have fun and just get messy and enjoy the process. So thank you for shedding light on that. Absolutely. Always remember why we do art in the first place. It's to create and explore, to explore the vulnerability of humans, to show things that we can't normally show just as a person. It brings out the human connectedness in us. And I think that's so special. It's such a childlike thing to do. We need to remember how to be childlike in our curiosity of adult life. Yes. And and I even said, I think it was in my last book club session, I was like, I feel like my entire life is a quest to get back to how I was as a child when I was making art and creating. 
you know, and you're not even thinking about how it's going to turn out. You're just so immersed in the process and you love it so much. You're in such a meditative state. I feel like that should really be the only goal in my art practice (laughs) moving forward. Not that we shouldn't have other goals. And I think it is, yes, of course, there are times where you are, you know, wanting to build a, a collection of work. And it is important, I think, to an extent as a working professional artist to take your work seriously. But it is also like absolutely paramount that you have fun. Otherwise, you're going to burn out and forget why you're even doing this in the first place. Absolutely. Yeah. So I wanted to ask you a little bit more about the actual work that you create, because you create these gorgeous landscapes that always I mean, I bought one of your prints recently and I have it up in my home. And I truly, whenever I look at it, I feel like I'm in some faraway place where, where I'm just like very pe- like at peace and it's very calming. Uh, but can you tell us a little bit about what, what drew you to landscape? I mean, we talked about it a little bit and I know it, you know, your work kind of visually transports you to these places, but what specifically led you to landscape and tell us about the work itself? You know, hilariously, I think what drew me to landscape paintings were Bob Ross. We love Bob Ross. We love Bob Ross, but it came about in such an unusual way for me Um, because I grew up doing cartooning. I wanted to be an animator growing up. I loved animation. I spent long hours at night watching like The Simpsons and South Park and like, you know, all adult cartoons as a kiddo. And I just wanted to be an animator. But, you know, as I got older and when I got into painting, I was like, I don't want to do faces. I don't want to do portraits, people, anything like that, or animals. I was really drawn to my inner worldview. And so to tie in Bobby Ross, um, at the time that I got into Bob Ross, I was at probably at my mentally worst. It was I was extremely depressed at this time and had trouble sleeping. And I would just put on Bob Ross for me, for my friends, if we were having a bad day and we would just sit there like in comatose to Bob Ross, just listening to him. And then every five minutes we'd look up and be like, wow, did he just do a waterfall? You know, it was just that whole feeling that he provided that comfort. It was so comforting to my anxiety to listen to him, to listen to the way he talked about things, the way he was never negative. He always framed things in a more wholesome, positive light. Like how he talks about how he always starts dark to light because without darkness, there wouldn't be light. And it it's just such beautiful ways he talks about his landscaping that makes it seem deeper than just he put a waterfall on a tree here. Um, and I think that core foundation from that healing that Bob Ross gave me in a way emulsified itself into my work. I wanted to be able to show, well, when I dissociate, when I check out, what am I what am I thinking about? And it's usually a far off place. It's usually familiar enough to where, yeah, I remember remember some mountain ranges from home. I remember this kind of freeway or these lights, but it's not 100 percent home. And the perception and depth that I give, it's it definitely traditional artists would would gawk at because there are some moments in there where you're like, wait a second, that that's not the right depth perception you should be giving there. If you did it actually this way, it'd look more. No, I want you to feel uncomfortable because dissociation is uncomfortable because sometimes you, you, you feel like you can't get that grasp back. There are things that are there, but they're not 100% what you think they are. And to be able to emulate that in a way in my art was so, so important. And so I also add texture. I make the mountains pop up, make it three-dimensional because one thing you have with um, 
derealization, depersonalization, and dissociation. You also have issues with color perception, depth perception, texture perception, object perception. So I wanted to absolutely draw the viewer's eyes kind of all over the place and kind of like encapsulate you kind of where you kind of feel like somebody put their hands over your ears, you know, where you're just you're stuffed in this. There is no one main focal point. I, I hate the focal point rule in paintings. I'm like, no, no, I don't want to draw your eye here because guess what? You're going to look there, but then you're going to start looking there and then you're going to start looking there and it's going to make you uncomfortable. And that's the whole point. It's beautiful, but it's uncomforting. It is beautiful. And and I think there are so many rules that we don't necessarily have to follow. Like art can be whatever we whatever we make of it. And I think there's something actually really refreshing that I love about either self-taught artists or artists who are like relatively new to making work because they don't have all of the years of like, you should do this this way. This needs to be done this way. And like, all of the classes and workshops and programs I took were incredibly helpful for me. And so I don't mean anything against that. Like I had amazing professors, but it does train you to think of things in a very singular way. And like when I work with self-taught artists or my friends that are just trying out or like getting into painting, they see it like, I'm like, I used to be that way once, (laughs) you know, like I need to get back to that. And it's, I don't know. I, the best way I can describe it is it's just really refreshing. And I think we can all kind of take a page out of your book and, and see things differently and be okay with not following certain rules and just making our work our own and, and knowing that there's no right or wrong. Like that is the most powerful thing about making art. There's no right or wrong. There's no formula we have to follow. Never. I, I say break all the rules. I, I think life's more fun when you break those rules. Um, I I remember just sitting in class and I I started a painting in my beginning paint class. And my professor was like, why are you using black paint? You you need to use the ultramarine blue and burnt umber, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I was sitting there going, I was like, okay. And then I continued to use black paint. (laughs) And I continue to use it to this day in spite of that one professor who was like, no, we don't use black paint. And I was like, what kind of rule is that? They make black paint. What am I supposed to just not use it? It's so funny because I also only mix like ultramarine and and burnt umber to make black. (laughs) But, and like occasionally I'll run out and I'll use a little bit of like black, you know, and then I'm like, I feel like I'm cheating. But these are all things that are just like, like, I think the best way to approach it is like, here's one way that you can use black. You can mix them. And here's another way you can also use it out of the tube and like, I do understand that like, okay, yes, the colors are probably a little richer if you mix them and all of that, but it doesn't mean you have to do it that way. Like it truly is whatever you want. And yeah, I just love your, your attitude and your outlook on it. I think we can all learn from it, but I had another question for you too. Was there a defining moment? Because I know you mentioned you took this class that was like really uh, influential for you and your decision to move into visual arts. But did, can you think of a defining moment where you were just like, I want to do this for the rest of my life and this is the path that I want to take? Or was it more like a progression over time that led you to that? It was a hilarious progression of constantly getting ill in jobs I wasn't meant to be in. That was the big key for me. Um, I have a lot of skills. You know, I grew up in a working class family raised by a single dad. 
So he would take me to work. I I'd do maintenance and stuff. I, I, I had so many weird skills growing up. So I was able to take so many jobs as an adult. And I took on everything from being a teacher, being a nanny, janitorial, um, paint technician, you know, like everything under the sun, working in fast food. And every time I held one of these jobs, even my last position being a nanny, which I loved, I got sick and suicidal in that position because I, my body, you can only ignore the thoughts in your head for so long, like where, you know, oh yeah, no, this, this isn't working for me. I'll I'll keep going on it for a little bit. You can shove those thoughts down. Yeah, absolutely. You can shove those into the darkest, deepest corners, like Raiders of the Lost Ark were shoving us into the catacombs but your body will react because there will be a disconnect between your mind and your body. And your body will know this isn't the right space for me. This is not where I'm meant to be. And I would get seriously, seriously ill consistently back to back to back until I realized I can't do this anymore. And I would just have to quit. And I have never felt that way in painting, no matter how hard it gets, I would still rather struggle being an entrepreneur paint and painter than I would taking a job that I know is consistent nine to five and would provide me a secure life forever. A hundred percent. And I actually always say that too. I think there, there was this quote, entrepreneurs would rather work 80 hours a week for themselves than 50 hours a week for someone else. And I truly believe that. But also what you were describing reminded me of a quote from Oprah. And she said something like, I don't remember the exact words, but it was like, your, it was talking about your body sending you these messages. And it was like, it starts out as a whisper. And if you ignore it, it becomes a yell. And if you ignore the yell, it becomes like, eventually it's like a brick being thrown at the back of your head and you are forced to stop. I think it's really easy to ignore our bodies because we're busy and we're working and we want to get things done, but it can actually be so detrimental. So actually I wanted to ask you like, what daily practices and routines do you have to help keep you feeling good and healthy? Because as someone who struggles with anxiety, and I also have an underlying health condition that greatly contributes to my anxiety, I have to have a really solid daily routine to keep me <laughs> feeling good. Um, and it kind of is what anchors me. And if I there's a day where I don't implement that, I feel thrown off for the whole day. So what what strategies are helpful for you? I think for me personally, um, because not only do I struggle with anxiety, depression, I'm also neurodivergent. So I fall under the ADHD spectrum. I don't stick to routines very well. It's not in my nature to be a routine type of person. um, And that kind of structure actually drives me nuts. There are a lot of days where like, I can keep a structure going, like me and you worked on a great little structure for me, you know, for, for my daily, but I don't always follow it because I can't. And that's just the way I think a neurodivergent brain definitely works. Um, I get really bored with the whole consistent, got to do this after this, after this. I need variance. So I think for me, it was finding out what works best for my body and listening to my body. So if I change something in my routine or I try to stick to a certain routine, how am I reacting to it? Do I feel okay? Do I feel more or less tired? And journaling about these things really, really helps too, or writing down or even talking to your support system about it. But for me, it was really taking that time to figure out, okay, well, today I think I can handle these kind of things. But tomorrow, I don't think I may may have the energy for that. You know, I may not have the time or the energy or space to really figure that out. But then another day, I might get a whole bunch done. And so far, it, it has what is what's worked for me. 
personally. I know some people prefer a much more rigid schedule, and I think it can be very, very useful for somebody who has anxiety. Um, and there's depression, which you can't really put a schedule on depression. Um, <laughs> she comes when she's ready. But working with a professional who can, who knows and understands what you're going through is really the key here. Reaching out for that professional support because they can tell you the tools, the tricks of the trade, if you will, on how to deal with these things, how to structure a schedule that works for you or a routine that works for you. Some people may need other things like someone like me. I, I appreciate body doubling. And for neurodivergent people, body doubling is when somebody else is around you and they're doing things, whether they're working on something or they do, they're doing dishes, that helps motivate me to go do something. And that's kind of how that my brain picks up on those things. So understanding yourself and taking time to understand yourself is really the key here. Take that time, get that support and help if you have access to it um, and take the time. Don't push yourself in a box. Don't don't act like you need to wake up at like four or five a.m. and do workouts and all of this. You really don't. Don't listen to the people that are saying that you're mentally ill. It's okay. <laughs> well, here's what I'll say because I'm a little bit that way. I'm like I'm that person. Oh my gosh. No, here's what I'll say. I do for the most part wake up super like early, not four, but like five to do my routine, and it usually does include a workout. But what I'll say is this on a day where I'm really struggling, I will not do a full workout. Like I have sort of variations of a routine. So I might still wake up early or I might not. I might actually give myself permission to just sleep in if I need it. Um, or if I wake up early, but I don't have the energy to work out because I have a lot of anxiety to, throughout the night or whatever it might be, then I'll take an hour to just like stretch while listening to meditation music and do some affirmations. I either go for a jog or a very gentle walk, depending on my energy levels, or sometimes it's just light stretching. You know, there's like different versions of my routine, depending on where I'm at that day. The most important thing is to like have the tools and know, okay, I know that if I stretch for an hour, I'm going to feel better than I do right now. And I don't even want to get out of bed to do the stretching. But if I force myself to do that, I will feel better. And like, if I'm feeling anxious today, I probably shouldn't have any ca like caffeine. It's a big part of why I don't drink any alcohol either, because that also makes me super anxious. Like, you just have to be so honest with yourself in terms of what makes you feel good. I've also something else, and I'm curious to know your thoughts on this. Um, it's something I've spoken about in other podcast episodes, and I've shared quite a bit on social media, is like, I have to have, um, and this is something that is consistent every day, like I never change this, which is that I don't go on social media until I've been awake for at least two to three hours. And I come off of social media about two hours before I go to sleep, sometimes three or four hours before I go to sleep. And that is also something that's different for everyone. But that for someone with anxiety is like, I have to have that in place every day. Otherwise, I my anxiety is really triggered if I go on first thing in the morning because it's like so much information. That's 100% true. And you are right. That is a fantastic boundary to have. Um, I commend you for that because I don't do that all the time. When you wake up in the morning, especially if you're somebody who has anxiety, your cortisol levels are high in the morning. They're higher than most people's. So you are more likely to be emotionally volatile and just pent up 
when you wake up. I tend to wake up really, really stressed sometimes. Um, that's usually when I hop on my bike and whatnot. And I, there's been some times where I wake up and I have that really anxious feeling and I'll roll over and check my phone and somebody has sent me a message or I see a comment that just like normally I just brush off. But in that moment, I see it and it it activates me. Um, so to have that boundary in place is so important you know, and you will learn through trial and error. Like, like I am, like I can see where this is going, but, and then it's also implementing um, what you were talking about. It's called reparenting yourself. You have to be that parent, especially if you're somebody who went through um, a lot of trauma growing up or anything like that. You're going to have to be the parent that you didn't get growing up. You're going to have to be that mom or dad that's telling you, Hey, maybe we shouldn't do it. Do this. Let's, we can do this now, or we can take our time here, you know, being that gentle parent that you should have gotten growing up, but it also gives you a firm hand to be like, no, we can get out of bed and let's go do this. Like, but in a gentle manner to yourself, hard. That's really hard. I still struggle with that. It's not easy reparenting yourself because you are the only person in charge of yourself. You are the only person that can make yourself happy. You are the only person that can make these decisions and make changes for yourself. Nobody else is going to do that. And I hate, and I hate hearing that as somebody who's been through trauma. I hate, I hate hearing that. No, where's my knight in shining armor? It's not going to happen. You're the knight in shining armor. And I'm like, what? Who? E? Oh, I didn't sign up for this job. No, I hear you. It, it's a lot. Like it truly like managing your mental health is a job. It is. And it requires so much focus every single day. But like, I think in terms of tuning in to what's working and not working, you have to know, like, I know that if I wake up and I go on social media right away, which is actually what I used to do. I haven't done it in about two years now. That's It's a non-negotiable boundary for me. But when I used to do it, I remember, like you're saying, feeling, uh, I actually felt more anxious for the entire day, you know, because it's how, I think the first few hours when you wake up are so important because it's how you, it's like building the foundation for the day. And it's hard because some mornings I am excited because I posted something the night before and I want to see and I want to get the comments. And But I just know that it's going to be better if I wait. And I think part of this too is um, I said earlier that like my quest is kind of, you know, returning to this place that I was when I was a child and I was making art. But I actually would say that I feel my real quest in life. That's part of it for sure. But if I had to say like what my true quest is, it is to live the most intentional life that I can. And I think when you're living with intention, every decision you make is aligned to what you really want and it's thoughtful and it's like, I I think when you live that way, you have the best life that you can have, you know, And, and and it benefits the people around you as well. And I don't know if that's like the best explanation, but... That that is a hundred percent true. You work on yourself, and you don't you don't work on other people. You work on yourself, and naturally, that you will lift them up with you because you're working on yourself. I had somebody show me a great napkin trick where they said, you know, this is you in the center, and they pulled it up and showed these are all your friends coming up with you, but you have to work on yourself, you know. And that just kind of like clicked for me, and I was like, oh no, that's right. I I do need to make sure I'm okay because if I'm not okay, how is anyone around me going to be okay? Yeah. And I think it's totally connected to this idea of like living with intention, because when you have these strategies and you have these tools and you use them intentionally and you make intentional decisions, I think that helps manage your mental health. It helps just inevitably it benefits, like you're saying, everyone around you. 
Um, and I think for anyone listening, like I would really encourage you, and I'm sure you would too, Ashley, to just think about, I think sometimes it really is this simple, like what makes me feel good and what makes me feel bad? <laughs> like, I know that going on my phone first thing in the morning makes me feel bad. Like it doesn't make me feel good. And so I don't do it. And it does take a lot of self-discipline as well. Like you were saying with reparenting yourself, setting boundaries requires a lot of discipline and it's not always what you want to do, but it's about what you, what is the best decision for you? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my goodness. Well, I've, I'm just so like honored that you came on. We haven't had any conversations like this and I knew that having you would be so valuable. And so before we sign off for today, I would love to give you just an opportunity. If there's anything else you would like to share with our listeners, you can feel free. <laughs> Gosh, if there's anything I can share with you guys is stay open this year this is the, there's an it's another year I get it stay open if there's something you want to do this year and you haven't done it look into doing it if you want to read that book you haven't read do it if you want to reach out to a friend you haven't reached out to in a long time do it what's the worst that can happen from any of this stuff other than oh I I didn't do it you know because you can sit there wondering for the rest of your life am I I what could have been just go out there and make some mistakes. Be messy. Have fun. Connect with people. Love people. Be empathetic. Apologize when you need to. That's the best advice I can give to everyone right now. Go out there. Have fun. It's life. Like, there's so much happening right now. There's so much going on. But like, gosh darn it. Remember, we're just humans here. Let's have some fun. Let's connect. Let's share our art. Let's share our silly little things. And let's find some joy in every day. That's, that's really all you can do right now. Absolutely. I think it's finding joy and really leaning into it and getting clear on those things that bring you joy and do, doing more of them if you can. Thank you, Ashley, so much for joining us today. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. And we will see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.